Ahoy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 38 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, if you enjoy the podcast, if you already subscribe and you like it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. And uh, take a couple seconds, write a couple uh, sentences about why you like the show, and leave us a good review. That helps us grow the audience. And uh, if you know one person in your life who you think would like the show, go ahead and send them your favorite episode. And uh, let's see if we can grow this thing. (sighs) Well, uh, it's been a strange week for me. Um, should we, I don't know, maybe we should start with a couple good things or whatever. Uh, my brother got married on Monday and, um, around the, uh, we were originally planning to be in Mexico around this time and, uh, they were going to get married down in Mexico. We were going to spend some time in Arizona afterwards, uh, with family and stuff. And of course, with the shelter in place, with the COVID-19 and all that stuff, those plans were blown to hell. So, um, they decided to move ahead with the ceremony, uh, and get married, and, um, you know, they were in a park in the city that they live in, which is on the other side of the country from California, and uh, they had about 10 friends there who were sort of watching at a distance. They got married in a park, and um, lately they've been attending a Unitarian Universalist church, and they had the, I don't know what you call them, not priest, but the worship leader or something like that. Um, There's a female worship leader for for that church, and... uh, uh, she officiated and, uh, they zoomed us in and it was pretty cool. Um, it was, God, it's funny to see your brother get married. I, you know, I've seen my brother cry obviously in my life at different points, but, um, it was pretty moving to see when they were, get, when they were exchanging vows that they both got pretty emotional and, um, you know, maybe everybody says this, but he married a great woman and, uh, I feel really lucky to, well, I feel I feel glad for him. I mean, I feel like I don't know. I just feel like, given our upbringing or whatever you want to call it, I feel like we could have married the wrong people. You know, we both could have married kind of chaotic people. Um, but I've said, you know, I think one thing that me and my brother did right was uh, at least now we have great partners in our life, and he married a great woman, and um, I'll likely marry the person I'm with now, and and she's a great woman, so. Um, you know, I think if you do marry the right person, you probably solve, uh, three fourths of the problems that, uh, or you avoid probably three fourths of the problems that many people encounter in their life. And, um, you know, they don't have children yet, but they have a dog, um, a little bully, uh, who's beautiful, who I'm in love with. And, uh, so they have a nice little family unit and, um, yeah, it just feels nice to welcome her into the family because she's a great person. And, uh, so that's all good. And, uh, uh, what else is going on? Um, spending a lot of time with anthropology. I told you I'm in this intercession class. That's like a semester's worth of work in one week. And, um, God, I think I spent like eight hours just reading about, um, the, um, uh, the, uh, early hominins in the Pleistocene period. And, uh, basically wanted to gouge my eyes out, but, uh, Hey, that's what school is folks, right? In the meantime, God, what's the biggest thing in the news, obviously, is all the protests that are going on and uh, the George Floyd situation with the police. And, um, you know, I I mean, I feel like it's a hard situation to be in because, you know, I feel like right now is sort of a a momentous moment in history. And, you know, as these things happen, it doesn't happen all the time, but I feel especially now they're happening more than ever. 
which is you are aware that you're living in a momentous moment in history and you feel both lucky to be alive at this time because important things are taking place. Um, but it also feels like there's a lot that is outside of your control and you're kind of just wondering how everything is going to pan out because I think, you know, for better or worse, I think in this country we tend to be kind of probably overly optimistic. I think we just assume that on long enough timeline that the good side wins and, um, and, um, you know, things will just sort of, I don't know, things will sort of work themselves out for lack of a better word. But I think given the leadership that we have now, uh, that has become, I think the rug's been pulled out from under that pretty, almost fully now. And, um, I think, I think given everything that's gone on, you know, the George Floyd situation and, and not, I mean, George Floyd is sort of the totem for a lot of other situations that have happened. But, um, um, George Floyd, uh, the coronavirus, Donald Trump. I mean, just when you think, just when you think everything that's gone wrong can go wrong, something else goes wrong. And it just, uh, I think people, people are feeling, a, a, you know, one thing everybody's saying over and over again, which I'm, I sort of gag every time I hear it, but people are calling it uncertain times, you know, in these unprecedented, uncertain times. But I mean, uncertainty is probably about as good a word as any for, I think, how a lot of people are feeling. We're just not sure, you know, what the future is going to look like. And, um, you know, you feel pretty powerless. Now, I was talking about this in therapy. My, my, therapist, my therapist was actually saying that right now there's plenty that people can do. Um, I think one thing I've always struggled with is, you know, I obviously sympathize and um, agree with the, the cause that, you know, the sort of social justice cause that's going on. I mean, I agree in principle. I I want all these things to work out, but you know, I'm not running out to a protest and catching coronavirus. You know, I mean, I, I even see, I mean, there's literally thousands of people congregating together in protests and that's a noble cause for sure. But it's a, I mean, that is, that is a recipe for a health crisis. Right. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I knew we were going to get to this, but I think actually, you know, actually a lot of my focus has been pulled away from um, the George Floyd situation because of uh, an event that happened at my girlfriend's building uh, earlier this week. Uh, it's something that we've both been dealing with for the last few days, and her more than me, frankly, but um, I've just tried tr- trying to be supportive of her. But this crazy situation, <clears throat> um, you know, I worked Sunday night and I work on, work until midnight and it was about two in the morning and I'm uh, getting ready to go to bed. I'm sort of reading and my girlfriend calls me, which she never does. It's like two in the morning. And um, I pick up and she's whispering to me and she says that she's in her closet because there's some kind of commotion going on in her building and she's hearing someone, she's not really sure what's going on, but they're yelling and screaming and they're running up and down the staircase, it sounds like, and it sounds like they're slamming doors. And, you know, the way she was describing it, she thought someone was having like a mental health crisis. She said the person was screaming gibberish and they were screaming for help and sounds like they were slamming doors and um, she had called the police and they had even said that she was not the only person from her building to call. So they were dispatching someone pretty soon. Um, and there's a siren in the background as I say that. But um, can you guys hear that? That's been a common, that's been like, 
my buddy Jefferson Berge, who's a musician you should check out, he used to say, we were in the Tenderloin of San Francisco, which is like a very um, famously uh, shady part of San Francisco. There's a huge drug and homeless population. And, you know, you literally have to hopscotch over feces as you walk down the sidewalk in that area of town. Sort of like the Skid Row of San Francisco. <clears throat> but uh, he used to say when we would hear sirens, he would say, ah, sirens, the wind chimes of the Tenderloin. And, uh, yeah, lately, given the, the just massively increased police presence in the area for the protest, I mean, they've initiated a curfew here in the county. Uh, they're asking everyone to stay inside after 8 p.m., but, I mean, the police presence is just out of control. I just see police everywhere. Um, but, um, so my girlfriend calls the police, and they say, yeah, they, they're dispatching someone, and, and to their credit, they were there right away. I mean, the dispatch person, which is not, I mean, I guess you have to be honest with people, but. the dispatch person said to my girlfriend, which did not instill a lot of confidence in her, was that they were receiving 500 other calls simultaneously. So, um, I mean, given everything that was going on, I completely understand them being overloaded, but, um, they came right away and I'm on the phone with my girlfriend. She's not, she, um, you know, she's starting to say that, Oh, the police are here. I can hear them. There's someone saying like, I need a towel or something like that. And so when I get there, I basically stay on the phone with my girlfriend as I drive over to her apartment. And there's like eight cop cars. There's a paramedic. There's, um, it's just the entire block is just lit up with police lights. And I walk up to the building and I see the front door is just completely demolished. And uh, there's a couple of police standing outside, and there's just a lot of activity, and obviously they're not letting me into the building, and they're calling it a crime scene. I say, oh, can I go to my, my girlfriend who's on the top floor? And they say, oh, that's a crime scene up there. We can't, uh, we can't have you up there. And uh, I explained the situation, and they said, just hang tight. You know, I'm sure in a, in a moment we'll, we'll be able to escort you up there. And I was like, okay. So I'm chilling, and all, and all of a sudden the cops, you know, a bunch of the other cops sort of spill out of the building, and I, I'm overhearing their conversation, and they're, and they're saying to some rookie that they have with them, they're saying, hey man, good job on kicking that door down with one kick. And uh, apparently they had to like kick down the door of someone's apartment, and, um, and then I started hearing talk of a gun, and they're saying, yeah, you know, if that gun's not legal, we might have to confiscate it. And they kept saying 22, you know, which is a caliber of bullet, but they're saying that 22. Um... And, uh, so I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Cause the entire time I thought maybe it was someone either having a mental health crisis, maybe they were intoxicated and kind of just running up and down the stairs and, you know, were sort of screaming nonsensically or whatever, because, um, you know, there's been times where someone has like thrown up in the, on the staircase. And so I don't know, it, it just, it made it, I don't know the, the dots I was connecting that, that was that there was somebody who was either in a mental health crisis or was intoxicated in the building. Now it's sounding like something much more serious has taken place. And I'm sort of chilling for a while. And um, after about 30 minutes or so, and I have my girlfriend on the phone the whole time, I have my, my ear, earbuds in or whatever. But I basically just ask one of the officers, I say, I say, hey guys, my girlfriend was one of the people who called the police. She's up on the top floor. Is there any way one of you could escort me up there so I could be with her? And they said, sure, just uh, you know, watch your step as you're going up try to avoid the blood. And I was like, okay. And so they take me up the stairs and I don't see a lot until we get to the top floor landing. And right as we're about to reach the top landing, he says, Hey, watch your step up here. Okay. And I said, sure. And he's like pointing out things on the floor. I get to the top of the landing. There's a bullet casing right there at the top of the stairs. He's like, well, watch your step. And I was like, okay. And as I turn the corner, 
um, to the hallway where my girlfriend's apartment is. I mean, basically, each floor is eight units, four on each side of the staircase. So there's basically, you know, two pods on each floor of four apartments. And so I turn toward my girlfriend's hallway, where the four apartments are, including the building managers, and there is blood all over the hallway, pooled all over the carpet. And I'm just like, holy shit. And I knock on my girlfriend's door. She opens it. And the first thing I say, and I, I wasn't even like really prepared to say it, is I just say, don't look. You know, because I know she hadn't been out of the apartment yet. I just said, don't look. I walk in, we close the door. And for a few minutes, I don't really tell her. I just sort of say, hey, yeah, it's kind of gruesome out there. Let's wait till we get more information or whatever. But I, I finally explained. I said, yeah, I don't know what happened, but there's a bullet casing on the landing and there's blood all over the hallway. And we don't know what happened. I mean, there's so many details here as I talk about it. You're, you're not going to be able to connect the dots here the same way we're, we are not able to. But there were two brothers living downstairs on the first floor who both got shot inside the building. And the story that we heard is they don't, uh, you know, there seems to have been somebody else who was in the building. That person did not break into the building. They did not enter through the front door. Uh, I think they said, or the back door either because they have cameras. So, uh, and the other confusing aspect is they are, you know, the idea was that they got shot and ran up to the building manager's apartment, which is next to my girlfriend's. And he basically let them hang out in there in his apartment until the cops arrived. So they had been bleeding out on the carpet outside the door. And once they, until they got let into his apartment. So what I don't understand is if these guys are on the bottom floor, they must have been shot upstairs. So I don't know if they were chased up the staircase and shot on the top floor, because otherwise there would have been blood all up and down the staircase. So who knows what happened? Maybe that person shot them on the top floor and then fled. But how did they exit the building, if not through the front door? And why is the front door destroyed? You know, the police said they didn't destroy it. So who the fuck knows? But these guys, two of the, the two brothers who got shot were taken to the hospital, and they're not speaking. They're in ICU. So um, for all I know, they, they could be dead now. I don't know if they're alive. I don't know what's going on. But, um, you know, of course, my girlfriend's traumatized. She doesn't feel safe there. So she's been spending uh, the last few days with me. Um, we spent the night over at her place last night, but otherwise she's just been uh, chilling here at my apartment. And um, yeah, crazy stuff. All right, I know you guys hate this, but I really do have to go to the bathroom, unfortunately. So let me take a quick break and uh, I'll be back in a second. Ah, that's better. Okay. Um. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say about all this. I mean... The shooting was not um, protest-related. Um, I mean, you know, I don't know what... I don't know if there's anything definitive to say about it outside of that. I mean, you know, my strong sense is that the two brothers who were shot were probably involved in some sort of nefarious, um, you know, I don't know, lifestyle, business dealing, who the hell knows. Um, you know, and maybe it's just my constitution, but... Um, you know, I'm not sure if I lived there. I mean, it would be spooky, absolutely, but I'm not sure I would necessarily feel unsafe to continue to be in the building. But my girlfriend, you know, is terrified, and you know, uh, it, you know, is it, it, you know, has really been scared of the idea of being there by herself. And so she's there. You know, I'm here doing laundry and um, uh, recording the podcast, and I'll do some homework here before work. And she'll be over here later tonight. But she's kind of trying to reacclimate to being in the building by herself and so is spending the, the day there alone. But that's like a really scary prospect to her, you know? Oh, but, um, 
Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. As I'm talking about it, I'm thinking, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes I have no idea what I'm going to talk about on the podcast and I get rolling and, uh, it's, it, you know, it's just like we're firing on all cylinders. And then sometimes the weeks where I feel like I have the most to say, I actually end up saying the least, you know, I feel this pressure. I want to say something meaningful about not, I mean, not just this incident, but everything that's going on here. And I just, I don't know. I feel like I have nothing to contribute. Um, I mean, I had therapy yesterday and, uh, it's nobody's fault, but it was one of the more tedious sessions that I've had in a long time. And I mean, this happens with me on the lines also, but it's just, you know, sometimes you're, you know, you have more to say. Sometimes you're more emotionally engaged. Sometimes you're more checked out. Um, sometimes things happen that just sort of take you out of the moment. But as I was just in my therapy session, it was like, despite everything that's going on, despite, um, you know, everything I, I felt like I had to say about, uh, you know, what's going on with my girlfriend and, and just what's going on in the sort of in current events in general, it was just like every, you know, every couple of seconds I was just like, you know, out of things to say, you know, I would basically just relate the story and then that would be it. And it's like my mind would go blank and I would just sit there like, Duh. you know, and, you know, maybe my therapist was distracted too, but it was just, sometimes you're talking with someone and you're just feeling like you, you're not really connecting. And, um, yeah, so it was hard. And unfortunately, I'm sitting here doing the podcast and we're only probably not even 20 minutes in and I'm already feeling like I'm gassed out. Yeah. And I hear my neighbors making noise, which is annoying. I will say though, I had to yell at my uh, girlfriend's neighbors, two of them. We got this one guy downstairs who's listening to, uh, to first of all, he plays the cello during the day. All right. A thousand thoughts. So, I know that as the shelter in place continues, people are becoming more restless and, uh, we've had this heat wave, you know, I mean, there's always a period out here in the Bay area, at least once a year where there's like a week or two where it's just unbelievably hot. And I know it's not like a hundred degrees hot, but for us, it's pretty freaking hot. And very few of us have air conditioning out here. So when it's hot, all you can do is open a window where there's a certain type of heat that moves into the area that there's not a breeze, there's nothing. It's just this still uncomfortable heat that just sort of hangs in the air. And no matter what you do, open your windows, open your door, put on shorts, take off your shirt, put an ice pack around your chest or whatever the hell you do. You, it's like you cannot cool down and it's just uncomfortable. Um, well, that's going on right now. And so it makes sense to me that people are at home, people are in their apartments all day, they're bored, they're trying to stimulate themselves, they're hot as shit, they want their windows open. But this fucking guy downstairs practices the cello, and he's not a good. You know, people say, well, a lot of people are having to work from home now. Maybe he's a professional cello player, and he has to practice. And no, this guy is not a professional cello player, believe me. But that's fine. This guy wants to practice. Go ahead. But he's got his window open, and this thing is fucking, you know, this is the person downstairs from my girlfriend, and they're fucking practicing the cello, and it's basically bellowing into the alleyway between the two buildings and just fucking reverberating uh, up into our apartment, and it's loud as shit, you know what I'm saying? Then at night, it'll be like 8.30 or 9 o'clock, and this guy's fucking blasting jazz music, you know what I'm saying? That sort of boppy saxophone, just... 
kind of jazz music, you know? And it's fucking grating and annoying as shit. And I had to march down there and just say, hey, man, do you have your windows open? And he's like, yeah. And I go, will you do me a favor and close those? Because whatever you do in this apartment is sort of radiating up for us, you know, and it's very annoying. And he was like, oh, okay. And I said, oh, and by the way, are you playing the cello also? And he said, yes. I said, when you do those things, when you listen to music, when you play the cello, would you please close your window? And he was like, oh, yeah, cool. And I was like, dude, perfect, right? Very receptive. At the same time, she's got this other guy in the building next to her across the alleyway. You know, our windows sort of face each other. And this guy's a musician, obviously. He plays piano, he sings and plays guitar, and this motherfucker always has his windows open. And multiple times I've yelled at him. I don't know his name, so I just say, hey, piano man, close your window. And he's sort of incredulous. Twice he's been, oh, okay, cool, and he closes it. Then most recently, I hear him fucking playing the piano, and it sounds like he's doing like a Zoom lesson with like a young young kid or whatever. They're doing like some, he's like, I don't know, they're learning some Green Day song together or something on the piano. And I just yelled at this guy, I go, hey, piano man, close your window. And I, I don't remember everything he said to me, but he tries to sort of come back to me and sort of negotiate with me. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not able to be in the studio. And I was like, that's fine, close your window. And he says something like, well, okay, well, you know, I'm trying to work with you here. I said, yeah, work with me and close your window. And he says something like, well, we'll, we'll continue to talk about it. I'm like, no, close your window. And, you know, it sounds crazy, but this is something that me and my girlfriend have talked a lot about, which is what frustrates me is when I'm dealing with somebody who's doing something that to me is clearly egregious and annoying which is like you're playing your piano inside your apartment and you're doing it with your windows open and it's annoying everybody else. I mean, consider the situation. Everybody's home right now. The weather is hot as shit. Nobody has air conditioning. So everybody has their windows open. I understand that if you're talking, if you're cooking, if you're making some kind of noise in your apartment, there are certain things that happen that we just have to tolerate about each other because that's the cost of cohabitating, right? Maybe you're talking on the phone. Maybe you're listening to the radio even or something. You know, but you still have to be mindful of what other people can hear. Now, you know, one thing my girlfriend has said, well, you know, maybe he can't go to the studio. Maybe he has to work from home. My thing is, that's fine. You still need to close your window. You know, I don't care if it's your job. Nobody put you in a chokehold and told you to be a professional musician. Right? I understand that's that's the path you've chosen. Now, if you also happen to be in a position where you live in an apartment and you might annoy your neighbors, you have to figure it out. You know, it's not part of the cost of cohabitating that I have to listen to you playing piano all day. You know what I mean? You need to do it in a way that you're not annoying people. And he said something too about, oh, well, I'll turn my amp down or something like that. And I said, no, man, close your window. You know, I run, in, I run into this with people when I try to correct their behavior. First of all, it takes a lot for me to even stand up for myself. Do you know what I'm saying? I shovel shit for the most part. Um, I saw this, epi- me and my girlfriend have been watching The Office, right? And there's this episode sometime in season three or something like that where Pam, who's the receptionist in The Office, she says, you know, I'm going to start standing up for myself or I'm going to start telling people what I want from them or need from them, et cetera. And she has this moment where she's like, get orders of two beers at a bar and she walks away and notices that one of them is wrong and she's about to just sort of take it and then turns around and says, oh, actually, I'm sorry, one of these was supposed to be a light beer. And the bartender just goes, oh, okay. And that's sort of a teachable moment that a lot of us have, which is it's hard for us to sort of speak up for ourselves. And when we do generally, 
you know, we're surprised that people are actually pretty, pretty accommodating of us and pretty reasonable. What I don't fucking understand is I mostly go through my life and have moments like that where I really stop and think and go, hey, am I standing up and asking someone to do something that's just part of life? Like, hey, man, this is just the shit you have to shovel with life. It come, it's the cost of cohabitating. Or do I think, is this person really doing something wrong? Is this person really being inconsiderate? And once I come down on the side of you're being inconsiderate, it's very hard for me to shift off it. You know what I'm saying? And so my thing is, I am fucking incredulous. First of all, as somebody who is painfully aware of the presence that they're imposing on other people, like I live, like right now I'm in my apartment. By all rights, I'm just speaking, right? I could have the windows open. You know what I mean? I could have my shades up or whatever the fuck it is, but I have the shades fucking down. I have the windows closed. And and to be fair, some of it is probably just as I'm speaking, I want to not be self-conscious and think about other people hearing me. And I probably don't want noise bleeding into the mics. But even if I was just sitting here doing homework or watching TV or watching a movie, I would have the fucking windows closed because I don't want to fucking bother people. You know what I mean? Like we all live in close proximity. If I have the windows open and I'm watching TV or something, people are going to hear it. Um, now I'm not saying that, you know, I realize that's exceptional about me, meaning I take it to a point that, that most people are by rights, probably I don't necessarily need to ask of them, but what I can't fucking understand is given that that's my calibration, when I'm, when I yell across an alleyway at somebody in another apartment and ask them to close their windows, I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying give up the piano. I'm not saying cut off your hands and never play again. I'm saying close your window and someone is responding as if I'm asking something egregious of them, I think, wow, what a dum-dum. What a dumb dummy. And the hill that people choose to die on, this idea that somebody says, hey man, close your window. And they're like, oh, well, I'll turn my amp down. No, close your window. Because, and and this is where, um, you know, a lot of you are not going to be on board with this. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm in tune to people's motivation frequently. Now, my therapist might disagree, <laughs> but I think that I'm tuned into people's motivation. And maybe it's a confirmation bias where the times I turn out to be right only um, uh, uh, validate this feeling. And, and most of the time that I never even get to, uh, there's a lot of opportunity where I don't get to prove myself right. But when I hear the dude downstairs playing his cello or listening to his jazz music or the dude across the hallway who's playing his piano, I fucking know. I'm telling you, I know in my fucking gut that they want to be heard. They want me to hear them. They want me to experience them. There is a part of them that is enjoying being in their apartment, playing the piano. And by the way, the guy's a good piano player. He's a much better piano player than the guy downstairs is a cello player. I'll tell you that. There is something about him that he wants to broadcast who he is to the people who are within within earshot. You know, there's a performative quality to what he's doing, even if he's practicing or singing or whatever. Because this motherfucker will do this late into the evening. I've been laying down at 11.30 when it's hot as shit, trying to have the windows open, and he's in his apartment, singing and playing guitar, serenading the fucking apartments around him. And I'm just like, what a fucking dick face. How inconsiderate can you be? And he does this horrible thing where he'll listen to, I don't know, you can tell they're vinyl records because you hear the crackle or whatever, but he will play the same song over and over again for an hour and a half, and it is super shitty music. It's like super shitty, grating, 
music from like the 60s and 70s. It's awful music, and he just plays this shit on a fucking loop, man. I just think there is nothing, wor- dude. This this is the same mentality of the people who drive down the street with this with you know with this. Now I start sounding like a grandpa, but the people who drive down the street blasting their music with their windows down because they want everybody in earshot to hear them, to experience them. The people who drive around with the motorcycles that have the fucking stereo systems, they literally want everyone to turn and see what they're doing. That is the mentality of these people. And it's a certain type of hipster. I, dude, I got some of them living next door to me. <clears throat> the other day, these guys fucking pull their bass guitar out into the backyard with an amp, and they're just fucking playing the bass at like 9 o'clock in the morning in their backyard. And it's like, what the, what is that fucking wiring that people have? It's a certain type of white hipster... You know, a sort of uh, hopeful musician that never pursued it as a career, but it's like, what is it about them that they have to broadcast the shit that they're into to everybody in earshot? Aren't you profoundly insecure about that? Doesn't doesn't that make you wildly self-conscious to know that people can hear you? I mean, my girlfriend was over here the other day. She had to take a meeting outside, you know, because I'm in here doing shit. I have um, things I have to do on the phone or whatever. So she has this meeting schedule that she has to take over her computer and she's outside in my backyard and she comes in and says, yeah, that was really uncomfortable. And I'm like, why? She goes, well, I could just tell that your neighbors might be able to hear me speaking. It was just made me really self-conscious. And I'm like, exactly. Because that's how normal people feel. They're considerate of other people's feelings. They don't want to impose themselves on others. Listen here, you cookie cutter crackers with guitars. What is wrong with you? That you basically want to broadcast yourself to the neighborhood. Do you think people think you're cool? This is one of the this is one of the things about growing up that's kind of interesting is you and and part of it is because you relate to the impulse. But <clears throat> when you're younger, you think you're cool, and in some way you look at older people and you think that they envy you in some way. Like because you look at them as being sort of out of touch, you think like you're going to blast your music and you're going to freak the old people out and they're going to feel estranged and realize that you're in control of the world and blah, blah, blah. And uh, when you're older, you just look at those people like losers, you know? And not that they would ever understand this, but it's like, you feel like, dude, get your shit together. You're embarrassing yourself and you're making my life miserable, actually. I mean, you're t- and look, this is not just coming from a guy who, uh, I don't know, sits and codes, uh, um, types code into his computer all day and is hypersensitive to noise. Your boy is a musician. And I guarantee you, you know, I guess I can't say never, but I would bet fucking money that if you asked, you know, people I hadn't had a conversation, if it didn't come up in conversation, I'll put it this way, if it did not come up in conversation, you could ask all of my neighbors what I do and they'd never fucking be able to tell you because they've never fucking heard me. I've recorded records inside this apartment and I guarantee you nobody's ever fucking heard it. Your boy has been playing jazz drums every day for the last, is it six months? Where are we at now? Six months of the year. Nobody fucking hears me because I use pads. I use fucking quiet things because I don't want to annoy my neighbors. You know, and the people who act like that's just a bridge too far are fucking insane to me. Here's what I'm trying to say. You know, that scene in the office where Pam goes, hey, actually, one of these is supposed to be a light. You know, that sort of um, stepping into your own, sort of asking what you deserve and asking for what you deserve and you're entitled to and all that sort of shit. 
The people who think just by default, their default setting is that includes annoying people by playing piano and broadcasting yourself to the neighborhood. That is fucking insane to me. And I don't know where that comes from. You know, I don't want to be that crotchety old person who says, oh, well, the younger generation is just so entitled and all that sort of shit. But you guys make it hard not to swing that way. Do you know what I mean? And maybe it's just a part of growing up is you just don't recognize the, the way that your generation, be, the things that your generation did to sort of behave that way. But I think it's safe to say I have never possessed that. <clears throat> I mean, it takes me back to, you know, I guess what I can't understand is the fact that you, from the time that, you know, unless it's truly uncalled for, do you know what I mean? The fact that someone across the alleyway in another apartment in another building is yelling at you to close your window because you're annoying them. How do you continue doing that behavior and be able to focus knowing that somebody in another apartment is annoyed by what you're doing at that very moment? You know, unless it was something egregious, like the sound of you cooking that you literally have no control over and you think, wow, that person's crazy that this is annoying. But the fact that you're doing something like playing the piano, and by the way, I don't know if I stress this point enough. The part that bothers me is when you're asking someone to stop doing something, they, they act like they live in a world where there's just no solution for this. Like when it comes to cooking or literally, unless you're stomping around your apartment, when you live with someone above you, it just comes with the territory. You will hear things from upstairs. You will hope you will hear the floorboards creaking or people walking around. It's not reasonable to ask them to walk on tiptoe all the time. You know what I mean? Like that's, those are the swings. But if you're fucking playing the piano upstairs or if you're playing the cello or if you're doing something that is exceptionally loud, you need to, you know, you guys can negotiate on a way that works for everybody, but you have to understand that you are, um, you know, the the agreement that you guys come to is a sort of uh, a favor or something that people are extending to you. It's not something that you're entitled to, right? And when someone asks you, like I said, I'm not asking the guy to fucking give up the piano. I'm just saying close your window. The fact that you can't do that or that you won't do that, dude, that says something profound about you. And the other part is this guy's, you know, this guy doesn't realize he's talking to someone who's a musician, Oh, I'll turn my amp down. No, motherfucker. Use headphones. Because I've seen your keyboard in the window. It's a Nord. I know exactly what it is. It's an electric piano with a fucking headphone jack. So please use it. Or even if this guy says, oh, I can't be in the studio right now. Even if he said, I have to record, which he doesn't. Or or I should say, which he hasn't said. He may very well have to do that, but he hasn't said that. Motherfucker, you go line in on those things. You don't need the goddamn amp. But people who act like, oh, God, my hands are tied. No, dude, you don't want to. And I just wish I could grab these people by the fucking lapel and just shake them. Shake some sense into people, man. Anyway, dude, at the same time, people are protesting George Floyd and trying to change the world and screaming Black Lives Matter. And here I am over here on a fucking pedestal and a megaphone shouting about the dude playing piano across the alleyway from me in another apartment. Wow. <clears throat> Princess problems, dude. White people problems. Oh my gosh. People in some neighborhoods are dodging bullets right now and I'm over here dodging fucking Green Day um, American Idiot. I'm over here dodging American Idiot. Dude, I am the American Idiot. Holy shit. You're looking at it, man.
American Idiot. That'll probably be the title of the podcast, huh? Man, it's hot as shit, dude. I'm already sweating here. Ugh. Again, man, we've talked about this in other episodes. I don't know what it says about me, but again, you know, agreeing with the cause and yet seeing how the cause is being manifested and the type of language that people are using around this whole thing, I find it so odious. I mean, I was talking to my therapist and I was saying, you know, I'm really desperate. Well, desperate's a strong word, but I'm eager to find ways to feel like I'm actually contributing because on the one hand, you know you're living in a, in a momentous time in history. And, you know, I feel like a lot of what's compelling people's um, behavior, and, and maybe it's a good thing, is wanting to be on the right side of history and kind of having your finger on the pulse of the, the cultural zeitgeist and where people are mu- moving and wanting to be a part of the herd. Right, like you don't want this time to pass. I mean, um, you know, this is um, maybe an overused analogy, but I, I still think it makes sense. But it's like you don't want to look back on this time of history, like when the Nazis were taking over, and you don't want to be the person who was like not saying anything, right? Um, because who knows where this thing is headed? And you know, you do want to be on the right side of history, and you want to do the right thing. Um. And I don't know what it says about me that I both understand that, I feel that, I want everything to come about the way the protesters do, but the way this thing is manifesting in the the public discourse, I find so odious. What is it about all of my white friends who are posting these sort of breathy, ponderous um, posts about white privilege and how we need to... uh, um, uh, I don't know. I was telling my girlfriend, I feel like a lot of what I'm witnessing is a lot of white people jumping up and, and sort of declaiming to their white peers what needs to be done about this issue and and uh, how they need to have a good long look in the mirror and reconsider their position on certain issues. And I just think, isn't this a bit like Woodstock? <laughs> Which is like, if half the people who said they were at Woodstock were actually there, the thing would have been 10 times as large. If all the white people I see posting we're actually if all the people who are posting now about how we need to be how we need to move through this racist society or whatever were, were not racist we wouldn't have the problem in the first place do you know what i mean <clears throat> and the thing that really sort of set it off for me too was you know i i still felt like at least in terms of social media which is not a great barometer to you know to gauge how people are really feeling but once everybody started pl- posting these black squares to those social media, that's when I was just like, give me a goddamn break. You know, people post on social media these long-winded posts about what other people need to do and put the right hashtags. And I think in their minds, they've ticked the box. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I've done my part. And it's not that they've actually done anything, but what they have done is created this uh, searchable or doc... They, they basically documented to the extent that they feel comfortable with to anyone who should ever hope to look for it that they participated at this time. Not that they've actually ever done anything, but the you know it was like I saw things, I saw things, people were posting stuff, and then all of a sudden everybody's... You know, this idea of just you know changing your profile picture to all black or posting a black square, then everybody started doing it. And the first thing I thought when I saw that was... Oh, finally, the type of nothing that everybody can get behind. It's like people who were formerly on the fence were like, oh, well, this is, uh, this is the right amount of nothing that I can do to tick that box, that sort of public-facing, 
performative act that makes it look like I did something or that I care about the issues. I get to broadcast this position this way that I want other people to experience me, but not actually do anything. It's like, oh, here's the form of protest that I can get behind. It's just the right amount of nothing that everybody's now on board. And dude, what does that say about me? Because I feel that. I mean, I really do feel that. Um, I feel like I've alluded to this at other times, but what I feel now, especially when it comes to the the social justice movement or whatever, is I feel, I mean, and you get the same things I do. I'm literally inundated by, with emails from every business that's ever had my email, whether it's uh, in all these mailing lists from music organizations to ASCAP to um, uh, Bank of America to the place I work at, the place my girlfriend works at. I mean, literally everybody I've ever brushed shoulders with is sending these long declamatory, is that a word? I don't know. They're, they're, they're emailing everybody these long public statements about their stance on the whole Black Lives Matter issue, and they are fucking carbon copies of each other. Like, I told you I re-recorded the last episode of the podcast because it was goddamn awful. But one of the things I did do is over the last few weeks, I've been saving these Instagram ads that I come across um, that are all about businesses during the time of coronavirus. And they're all these breathy things about like, one was like 76 gas station talking about, we miss the road. We even miss a bumper to bumper traffic in Los Angeles. You know, in these unprecedented times. And I literally went through 12 of them. And then when I re-recorded the episode and didn't do that, I wanted to fucking stab myself in the heart when I saw Chris D'Elia's most recent podcast episode where he does the exact same thing. And I just think, God damn. You know, that's why you have to be first or something because we're all having the same amount of thinking. So I don't know if I'm making this point clear, but the point is, what I'm saying is, I feel these things in isolation and then I hear someone else talk about them and I think, oh, other people are experiencing this too. So you know what the fuck I'm talking about. You're getting the emails. And they're basically fucking, like the commercials, they are carbon copy prints of each other that feel poli- completely political. There are these sort of drone robot emails about, mm, in this space, we support uh, social justice. We are taking a stand against racism and blah, blah, blah. And you just think, they just printed the shit off the internet, put their own name on it, and fucking posted it. And I'm not saying the cause is not good. I'm behind the cause. But I feel the heart behind everybody's statement about it is wildly disingenuous. I feel exactly the same way as I do when a politician says, um, uh, you know, from Main Street to Wall Street, we got to do this. We got to give back to the middle class and we got to do this and we got to do that and we got to do this. And I just think this person doesn't believe a fucking word of what they're saying. They are pandering to a demographic. And the fact that there is an entire sea of people who hear this and just fucking clap their hands, like when you, even Barack Obama, when you hear him speak and it's like people say things anticipating the applause after everything they say, you know, they just say like, I had a solid bowel movement, but they just say it with a type of tone that's basically prompting the audience to, you're supposed to clap at this. That's the way people talk to each other now. And the fact that people seem to not only want it, but, you know, I mean, have deep reservations and uh, critiques of the people who don't participate in that is fucking disturbing to me. You know, and I feel like I'm overcompensating by saying it this much, but I know, believe me, I have, uh, I'm feeling the temperature of our cultural climate now also, but I support the cause. 
I want the changes that everybody else does. But the way that it has manifested is fucking crazy to me. I mean, I've spent a lot of time with different religious organizations, and the one I always come back to is the time I spent with the Mormons. And they basically walk around the halls looking at each other and saying, hey, the church is true. The church is true. The church is true. You know, this sort of circular echo chamber, um, brainwash um, uh, reinforcement that constantly goes on. And you can't express doubt. You just basically repeat the same shit. I mean, at every church service, they call it sacrament meeting in the Mormon church. Uh, and I've never been to the temple, but this is what happens at the wards, right? <clears throat> they have someone give their testimony. And it is a carbon copy speech about the same shit of, I mean, at the time that I was there, Gordon B. Hinckley was the president of the church. But it was, you know, I believe that Gordon B. Hinckley is a prophet of God and that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God and I believe in the Book of Mormon and blah, 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 blah. And they just repeat the same shit over and over again. And it's this Xerox carbon copy fill in the blanks bullshit that people just repeat at each other and they say it through tears and they say it so impassioned and you know that they're just mimicking behavior. I mean, my generation, the liberal generation, used to watch documentaries like Jesus Camp and just fucking shake our heads and go, what the fuck? When you see these Pentecostal kids who are raised in these churches where they believe in speaking in tongues, and we look at them just going, oh, shum-lum-lum-lum-lum, and with, with tears in their eyes and just thinking, wow, it's fucking child abuse what they're doing to these kids, just mimicking their parents' behavior, inculcated into this worldview without even knowing what the fuck they believe themselves. And again... I believe in the cause, but it feels like that is exactly what's happening now. When I go out and engage with my peers, everybody's in this fucking group think, repeat the same bullshit at each other, dialogue, where it's like people are just reaching into the quiver of vocab words of, you know, showing up to a safe space and bringing their full selves and um, um, all sorts of bullshit, you know these phrases. I can't think of them now. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pull something off there and read it to you, but you know what the fuck I'm talking about. These carbon copy speeches that people are making to each other about white privilege, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think, I don't believe you. I feel like I'm being politicked by everybody. And that fucking scares me, man. <clears throat> because on the one hand, I'm, I'm seeing the mob, for lack of a better word, and I see the torches and the pitchforks, and it's like they're telling me what they need me to hear so that they don't fucking crucify me, and I'm saying, hey, I feel in my gut like I'm with what you're saying, but you are the last people I want to associate with, and what the fuck does that mean? And I know to them, they would say, oh, it's because I'm a white man and that's my white privilege and I'm my white fragility, et cetera, et cetera. And I just go, no. There's something else going on here. And I'm not saying I'm persecuted. I'm not saying anything like that. I mean, if anything, it's a privilege that I even, I, you know, I feel like the fact that I even have the space to consider this perspective is, if anything, it's indicative of how much privilege I actually do have. Right, the fact that I can, I can even afford to step outside of the conversation and observe it is evidence of my privilege. But that's how I really feel. You know? <clears throat> and I'm not pro-Trump. I'm not any of that bullshit. <clears throat> I, 
I hate Trump as much as the next guy. I think he's evil. In fact, I've thought, you know, well, what can I, I, I guess what all this is leading up to is I feel, you know, whether or not it's true, I feel powerless because there is none of you people, none of your groups, none of your organizations that I want to fall in with. You know, I don't know if it's that Mark Twain or maybe it was, uh, maybe it was somebody else, but you know, I, I don't want to be a part of any club that would have me as a member, something like that. I want, I want to be, I want to hang out with none of you folks. And yet, you know, I'm not lying when I say I agree with the cause and thinking, what are, what are ways that I could contribute? What are some ways, you know, given the fact that I'm not going out and catching coronavirus, that's not going to fucking happen. What can I do so that I, that I feel like at least in my own way I can contribute? And honestly, I think part of it is going to be, I think I will have to um, let go of some of my contrarianism meaning yeah there are there are groups that i might have to support or at least engage with that yeah maybe i don't agree with all their politics but i do agree because i agree with the cause and because i do feel like i have to do something i have to let go of some of my other otherness and honestly sort of self othering right um, but yeah, this is what I was talking about with my therapist, you know, <laughs> and it's hard because I do get the sense, you know, she's a very, my, my sense is that she's a very, um, um, socially conscious person. I think she's very active politically. And I think it's hard for her to sit across from a 34 year old white dude, um, and kind of, and believe me, it's fucking uncomfortable for me too to walk this tightrope of voicing my reservations about things, knowing full well that this is not that this is not the, um, What's the word I'm looking for? That this is not the um, uh, this is not the direction that most people are moving in. I am kind of swimming against the current a little bit, but also trying to be very clear that I'm not like a fucking especially as a dude, especially as a middle aged white bald dude who some people might look at as a skinhead. You know what I'm saying? Like I literally was walking down the street three weeks ago, and I walked uh, by this group of young kids who basically, in a sort of a snarky way, just said like, "Oh, I like your bald head." And they said it in such a fucking weird way. It made me think like they thought that something was wrong with me. Not just like, they weren't just calling me bald. I mean, I've had that before. I literally was running one time and this woman in my neighborhood who was clearly in some sort of mental distress, if you know what I mean. I literally ran by her and I heard Ash. I mean, she was already talking to herself, but she said, you skull headed motherfucker. And I was just like, okay. But, um, but what am I saying? Yeah. What was I talking about? Uh, Yes. I, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't pretend to have all the answers. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to communicate that I realize that I'm walking a bit of a tightrope tight here. I see all the fucking people out there with their, you know, I, I don't think it's unfair to say with their fucking pitchforks and their torches, right? Like they're looking for people to fucking skewer. Do you know what I'm saying? And I realize I'm not, I'm not saying what most people are saying. I'm not jumping on the the bandwagon the way most people are. And yet I still feel like I support the cause, but I don't know where or honestly how to fit in. And I want to feel like I'm contributing. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm not right. I, I can just say, for me, it feels observably true that when I was growing up, what people valued was being an independent thinker. And maybe I'm not looking in the right places. Maybe I'm. Maybe my thinking is so backward and confused about this. I just don't see how wrong I am. But I don't feel like I see that anymore. 
I don't see any real independent thinking. You know, and I guess I'm saying I'm sure it's out there, but at least in the the public discourse. And look, maybe that's just social media for you. Maybe that's the algorithm. It just shows you the fucking uh, the uh, bipartisanship or whatever it is. But I don't feel, even amongst my peers, that people really value independent thinking anymore. They don't want new and challenging ideas. They want. They want to be. I don't know. Validated is that the word? I don't know. I think people now more than ever. Maybe it's because the stakes in life are high, and for very good reason, people are not sure how they're going to, you know, in whatever ways they want to feel like they're going to succeed anymore because things feel so uncertain. Maybe one of the only sources of certainty now is being, you know, brought into a group or into a fold of some sort, finding a group of people that you feel accept you. Maybe it's the value of likes and shares, et cetera, that we want to say things that people will celebrate and like. I don't know. And it's hard, dude, because, you know, when you do have this sort of, I don't want to call it contrarian, but when, when I have this perspective where I feel like I'm sort of outside the majority of people right now, I see pe- friends of mine, people I've known for, for many years of my life, who are people I otherwise respect intellectually, are, to me seem to be losing their fucking mind. And these are people who are posting on Facebook about how, you know, the whole coronavirus is a government conspiracy, and now that they've looked into it, they realize the web of lies, and... Um, you know, it's just, the world is just a bunch of sheeple, um, you know, and especially against the left wing, people who are saying like, you know, the whole group thing thing and blah, 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 blah. And these people are brainwashed, et cetera. And I go, that's another thing that I, I kind of understand where they're coming from, but that's not how I feel. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that, like there's a certain category of people who would also speak against the left who to me are sort of flat earth, flat earth adjacent, you know? where they sort of believe that coronavirus is a fucking conspiracy and wearing a mask infringes on their civil liberties, et cetera. I mean, I had a friend of mine just today, I noticed, posting about why they um, walked away from the Democratic Party, and the more they looked into Trump, they realized that um, uh, the liberal media was just fucking biased against them and yada, yada, yada. And I just think, whoa. It's like people are just fucking taking their brains out of their head. They're literally opening their brain. They're opening their heads, taking out their brain, putting it in a fucking box and fucking putting on a rocket ship to the goddamn moon. And that goes across the board for the left, for the right. I feel like everyone's going fucking crazy. And I don't know who the fuck to hang out with anymore. The, the longer this thing goes on and the more I hear, the more I want to stay home. I feel like fucking Kevin McAllister. Is that his name? From Home Alone? Where he goes, I wish they would all just disappear. That's the fucking world I'm living in. I wish they would all just disappear. And then they sort of repeat it over and over again, like you're entering the dream sequence. I wish they would all just disappear. 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 And I want to wake up tomorrow and fucking be like, what was that episode of The Twilight Zone? <clears throat> there was a guy who hated everybody. He was a fucking curmudgeon, misanthrope, and he wanted to live in books. And so I don't know how his fucking wish got granted, but he was like, oh, I just want to, 
I just want to fucking live around books all day and just read. And of course, he gets trans- transported to a dimension where it's just the world is one big library. But the first thing he does is drop his glasses and step on them, step on them. And now he lives in this peopleless world where he can't even read the books that are around him. It's my future. I'm going to say, I wish you would all just disappear and I'm going to wake up in a world tomorrow where it's just me in a podcast that nobody listens to. It's just me shouting my meaningless opinions into the darkness while the wave of time washes them away. Oh, oh, so poetic. Man, I don't know, man. I don't know what the solution is. I do think about my kids, though. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm I'm trying not to be self-congratulatory about this, but I'll, you know, fuck it. I'll just let you figure it out for yourself. But, you know, for me, I just value being honest, you know, and I value, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's not the popular uh, opinion, I I feel like I'm a fairly well calibrated person. And if I feel, uh, uh, if I feel a certain way, if I have a certain reservation or a judgment, I feel like it's probably for good reason. Um, and it doesn't mean I'm infallible. I just mean there is something to this. My skepticism of everybody's gung honess for the cause that I think if this many people were really behind the cause, there wouldn't be a fucking problem in the first place. Um, the, the sort of performative aspect that I see behind a lot of things. I mean, there's, there's fucking something to that, you know? But also being skeptical of the people who have contrary opinions. I feel, I, I feel like a lot of them are getting brainwashed into the same fucking bullshit just on the other side of the aisle, you know? You know, and, and maybe history won't look kindly on this. You know, maybe my kids will hear this podcast and just think, God, what was wrong with that? He was just so fucking ass backwards in his worldview. You know what I mean? <clears throat> But it's how I really feel. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, who knows? My work could probably hear this and fucking fire me. But, uh, such is life. Oh, man. Well, what are we going to do, folks? Oh, man. We sort of hit a wall there near the beginning of the podcast, and then I started screaming about my neighbor and finally backed our way into uh, current events again. So, I don't know what we learned. Uh, you're not safe anywhere. Even at my girlfriend's apartment, you can get shot. Um, you know, and times are crazy right now. You know, I said this in therapy, and maybe we'll, maybe we'll probably end on this note, but I sort of fell into this reverie <clears throat> while I was in uh, therapy, very quiet for a long time. And one thing my therapist always says when I'm quiet for too long is, where are your thoughts going? It's sort of a easy way to sort of try to get me to say something, I guess. But what I had really been thinking about is my thoughts were going back to Bob Dylan for some reason. And I was just thinking about Bob Dylan as he was younger. But I was also, for some reason, I was thinking about Bob Dylan right now. You know, in the 60s, Bob Dylan was the voice of a generation, right? I mean, he wrote the protest songs that everybody was singing, and it was you know, a, a song like Blown in the Wind, I don't think it's an over-exaggeration to say that that is like the anthem of a generation, you know? It sort of captured the sense of, excuse me, really uncertain. I mean, it could be a song for this time, excuse me, 
this time period too, which is things are uncertain and, and, and where are the answers to all these big questions? It's, it's literally blown in the wind. Nobody fucking knows. Why doesn't this generation have its own protest music? Why don't we have the voice of a generation? And I think that there are, you know, there's probably good reasons, at least in terms of the music industry, which is it's very shattered and niche, niche. It's very uh, fragmented, you know, and, and Bob Dylan was around at a time where <clears throat> there were only so many radio stations and there were only, only so many television stations. And if you were a major celebrity like Bob Dylan, everybody was fucking aware of you. Now you could be a huge musical success and, and nobody knows who the fuck you are. You could still be huge and nobody knows who you are. But I'm going to see if I can find this quote because I think it's, I think it's kind of important. And I used to go to this place here in Berkeley. Uh, nobody's gone there now. In fact, I, I'm, I'm wondering if they're, um, I'm wondering if they're in danger of closing, but they had, um, it's called the Starry Plow. It's in Berkeley, California. <clears throat> and they had, um, they had this, uh, quote on the wall that related to music and, um, and, uh, and protest. And I'd like to see if I can find it here. I'm just kind of doing a Google image search. Um, the Starry Plow Berkeley wall quote. Uh, let's see. Okay, I wasn't able to find the quote exactly, but um, I think I found the context that it's in. And they may have actually rearranged it on the wall, but <clears throat> the quote comes from James Connolly. And uh, I don't know if it's a poem, but the title that they have above this is Revolutionary Song by James Connolly. And again, regarding the current situation and the lack of, I don't know, political music or protest, um, this seems to fit the bill. And we'll probably have to end with this, but uh, I'd like to read this to you now. No revolutionary movement is complete without its poetical expression. If such a movement has caught hold of the imagination of the masses, they will seek a vent in song for the aspirations the fears and the hopes, the loves and the hatreds engendered by the struggle. Until the movement is marked by the joyous, defiant singing of revolutionary songs, it lacks one of the most distinctive marks of a popular revolutionary movement. It is the dogma of a few, and not the faith of the multitude. And I think on that note, we'll have to end this episode there. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you can on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to take a moment to rate and review us, you can. Give us five stars and write a couple sentences about what you like about the podcast. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would enjoy it, please send them your favorite episode. Otherwise, whew, thank you for sitting through this episode. Thank you for uh, letting me share my thoughts with you and giving me a space to uh, share how I feel. Um, yeah. It means a lot that you keep tuning in. So thank you for doing that. So um, for now, like always, thank you for your time and ciao for now. <laughs>